0: Well, good morning and welcome to church. It's wonderful to be in church on this uh, Sunday. Many of us would remember we are, for this month of January, we're doing a series titled, Reset. Um, it's, it's about resetting our lives uh, in following the Lord. Uh, Pastors Jim, Pavey, and Randall, respectively, Um, has given us some some refreshing um, material in the last three weeks uh, concerning resetting our lives, uh, our prayer life, resetting ourselves to to have faith, resetting ourselves to have hope. This morning, I want to talk about resetting our responsibility to love. I've titled... uh, the message this morning above all love above all love and i'd like us to read one passage of scripture uh, at the start and this is in mark chapter 12 verses 29 to 31. now um, you got to understand the background one of the scribes this is a religious lawyer he's a a, a theologian in in the days of of Jesus in in Palestine. He runs up to Jesus and he asks a question to test him. Master, which commandment is the most important? And this is where Jesus replies. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, this is an interesting passage of scripture because Jesus is now very Categorical. He is insisting. He is insisting, no other command is more important than this one single command. Love God with all, with your everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I want, as we approach this topic, this subject, above all love, I want to ask three questions. First question. Why? Why must we be known above all for our love? Why? Why is love so important? Then the second question I want to ask is this. What does love for God look like? Which then leads us to the third question. What does love for people look like? Three questions. So the first one, why must we be known above all for our love? Why? Here are some reasons. Number one, why above all else, we should be known for love? Because love is the greatest command. Jesus himself says, hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Four times that word, all, is mentioned. In other words, there should be, nothing is to be left, giving your everything, giving your all. There should be no compromise, Uh, nothing to minimize that level of, of love for the Lord. It is the greatest command. Mind you, Jesus didn't say to the scribe, listen, if you've got some time, may I give you a suggestion for you to consider? Love the Lord. He says this is a com- not just a command, it is the greatest of all the 613 commands that the Pharisees and the scribes of that day uh, would would refer to that they, they say there are 613 commands and jesus says well you've got this long list let me reduce it to just one love the lord your god on this one command hangs all the rest of the commands why must we be known for our love because it is the greatest command number two why must we be known we be known for our love because love is the greatest virtue it is the greatest gift one of the most beautiful pieces of ancient writing is recorded for us for our benefit in first corinthians chapter 13 where paul writes about love and and this this is where he, he starts off if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have faith so big as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away everything and deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You know, love is the virtue that God uses to measure, measure the other virtues. You could be eloquent, speaking in the tongues of men and of angels, but God says without love, I'm using love as a measure, without love your eloquence is nothing. Oh, you say you have great faith to remove mountains. God says, I'm using this uh, measure called love, and without love, your faith is nothing. Uh, You are a philanthropist. You, You give. You are sacrificial in your giving. God says, without love, your giving gains nothing. In other words, lovelessness equates to worthlessness. That's how important love is it is the greatest gift it is the greatest virtue here's another reason why because number 3 love is the greatest investment in the kingdom of god love is the greatest investment love never fails 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 8 tells us it never fails it never fails to be effective for good that's what it means it never it never runs dry. There is a song uh, to that effect. Is love really worth investing in? Sure does. Sure does. There's a story in Second Kings chapter six. The king of Aram is waging war against Israel. One king against another king. The king of Aram versus the King of Israel. And the king of Aram would set ambushes, and he would Use the element of surprise to to knock off as many uh, troops uh, of Israel as possible. But each time, as he sets his ambush, somehow that his battle plans are unknown beforehand, and and so uh, Israel gets wind of it, and they withdraw their troops. And so this drives the king of Aram real mad, and he. He asks his generals and his troops, who amongst us is a traitor? Who is betraying us to the enemy? And then they say, O king, none of us. But there is a prophet in Israel. His name is Elisha. Mind you, he is so, he is so in touch with God, even the very words you utter and whisper in your bedroom. He picks them up. He knows everything. That's why your battle plans are foiled each time. The king says, if that is the case, we need to eliminate him, get him. And so they sent an army of soldiers to surround the village, the the town of Dothan, where, where Elisha was living. One morning, Elisha's servant woke up and opened the door, and he saw a vast army of soldiers and chariots armed. And he panicked. He ran back in, and he said, Alas, master, we are done for. Elisha came out, and Elisha prayed a prayer. Lord, open the young man's eyes. After that prayer, the young man saw, beyond the hills, all round Dothan, was God's army, chariots, soldiers, innumerable. And that set him at peace. And then meanwhile, the enemy soldiers that had surrounded his house came barging against the door, and they were breaking the door down. And Elisha prayed another prayer. Pastor Jim reminded us to reset our prayer life. Prayer does work. Elisha prayed, and it worked. And Elisha prayed this time, Lord, strike the soldiers with blindness, and all of them were blinded, and they were groping around, they were moping around, blindly. And Elisha said, "Follow me, I will lead you to the person you are searching for." Elisha led them like lambs to the slaughter, to the capital of Israel at the time, which is Samaria. And within the city walls of Samaria, Elisha took them in and bolted the gates shut. And then Elisha prayed, Lord, open their eyes. And their eyes were opened. Prayer works. Reset your prayer life. So their eyes were open. As their eyes were opened, the king, they were trembling because now they were all in the enemy stronghold. And the king of Israel, the king of Israel said, good, now I can kill all of them, and that'll be the end of this this war that's been waging for some time. Elisha said, no, do not touch a single one of them, but feed them. Give them drink and feed them. The Bible tells us that day, Israel, prepared a great feast. Now it's something to have a feast, but it's a great feast. So these people were having the best of lobsters and everything else. And uh, having feasted and having satisfied themselves, Elijah said to the king, now send them home. They went back. They went and reported everything back to the king of Aram. And the last sentence of this story in 2 Kings chapter 6, the last sentence records this. It says this: Thereafter there were no more marauding bands of soldiers coming into Israel to ambush Israel's troops. Great dividends is love worth it? Showing love It definitely is. It definitely is. Love pays dividends. Love in the kingdom of God, love pays lasting dividends. What does love for God look like? That's the second question we need to ask. We've asked the question, why we need to be known above all for love? It's the greatest command. It's the greatest gift. It's the greatest investment. Now we need to ask the next question. What does love for God look like? Well, the first condition, the first mark to show that someone loves God is that that person puts God first, puts Christ first. The first commandment, God says, love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, all is mentioned four times. God is to be preeminent, most important in your life. Mark chapter 10 records the story of a rich young ruler coming to Jesus and asking a question. That young, that rich young ruler asked, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God alone is good. Why call me good? Well, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And come and follow me. Oh, the young man said, Teacher, all these things, all these things, honoring the Father, not stealing, not bearing false witness, etc., etc., I have done since my youth. Here's an exemplary young man, very good young man, upright, moral, but morality will not guarantee eternal life. And the Lord said, follow me. And at that, the young man's face was crestfallen, and he went away sad. Now, I want to explain something. Being wealthy does not necessarily exclude anyone from the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean if you're wealthy, this command is only specific to that young man. It's not for every wealthy person. Look at Joseph of Arimathea. He was wealthy. He had a tomb already, but he he gave it to Jesus for his burial. He was a wealthy man, and yet there was no command to Joseph of Arimathea to give up his riches and his wealth. This command is only for the young man. Jesus is saying because Jesus knows his heart. Jesus knows that wealth and money and houses and land, these are the things that preoccupy his mind rather than Jesus. And that's the reason why Jesus says, take all this away, be stripped of all these things, and love me. And He refused. Many years ago, a young woman wrote a poem. And uh, that young woman wrote a poem, and another woman saw it and was encouraged by the words in that poem. And that woman who took it, said, my son would benefit from reading this poetry because I'm not sure of my son's commitment to the Lord. I'm not sure if he's really decided to follow Jesus and his life pursuits and so on are are preoccupying his mind and and they are not necessarily Christ-like. And so this woman... Who took the poem from another person, laid it on the piano of his son. That son saw the, the poetry and said, This is wonderful. His heart was moved, and he said, I need to give my all to Jesus. And these are this is the these are the first lyrics of that of that poem, which was made into that young man composed that. To music that day itself. I rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I rather be his than have riches untold. I rather have Jesus than houses or land. I rather be led by his nail pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's. Dread sway. i rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That young man's name, George Beverly Shea, who was the baritone singer on Billy Graham's gospel campaigns all over the world for decades. And that song, as he sung it, brought many to salvation, brought many to recommitment. To Jesus Christ. I wish that young rich young ruler had said all these houses and lands I wish he had said like George Beverly Shea, put to music that that poetry I wish he had said houses and lands I can do away with they can be removed from me because as long as I have Jesus I'm satisfied I'm fulfilled because land money wealth silver they do not satisfy me ultimately however that young man did not say that that young man however said this how can i possibly live without my mansion my fast cars my my belongings my silver my wealth my investments And you want to give me Jesus? How can I possibly live like that? If only, if only he had said, I'd rather have Jesus. How can I possibly not have Jesus and be satisfied only with my riches, my houses, and my lands, my fast cars, and my my toys, and my this and that? i rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That's what love for Jesus looks like. That's what love for God's God looks like. Putting God first. He's preeminent. He's of paramount importance. Here's the second mark of someone who loves God. What does love for God look like? It is this. Obey Him. If you love God, you would obey him. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you keep my command. Oh, I love you the Lord. Oh, I love you, Lord. Do you obey me? Now no one obeys the Lord consistently, fully, thoroughly, all the time. But but deep inside, there is that there is that trajectory, there is that. That desire, Lord, I do want to obey you as best as as I can. That is a sign that you love God. Obey him. I want to obey him. Hard as it is, I want to obey. I delight to do your will. I delight to obey you, God, because your laws are written in my heart. David says, King David So what does love love for God look like? Here's a third mark, and this is a very clear mark by the Apostle John. Love God's children. If you love God's children, you love God. And conversely speaking, if you do not love God's children, you do not love God. No matter what sort of religious cartwheels and somersaults you do. You're not loving God because you do not love his children. 1 John 4.20 If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. It's logical. It's logical. When our elder son Paul was about seven or eight years of age, he came home from school one day with a razor blade put into his pencil box, his pencil pouch, and he was, he was crying. He said, somebody bullied me. In school today, and they put a piece of, and they put a razor, an exposed razor in my pencil pouch. I was furious. I was literally furious. That boy was only seven who did this. This naughty boy. How could he? What would he turn into? He's only seven and he's doing this. If you want, to offend a parent just offend the parent's children and if you want to delight you you want to make the parent happy just make their children happy that's how it works god says you love me look at how you treat my children Anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother. His Christianity is flawed. He is lying. It's a big lie. That young boy, that naughty boy, let's pretend he said this to me. Let's pretend, sir. I know you are a good benevolent father. You are such a good father, unlike mine. You are so good. You know why I'm naughty and wanted to hurt your son? Because I was trying to get attention to myself. Oh. Some folks in church, sadly, sometimes they do that. They, they are attention seeking. You know, so they, they hurt, they harm, they injure some other brethren in the church and it hurts god the father in the process so what does love for god look like three signs number one put god first put jesus first number two obey him number three love his children these are the these are the signs that you love god what does the third question What does love for people look like? Here's the third question. What does love for people look like? Well, we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. This passage, you know, this is probably the most used passage for scripture reading at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy does not boast, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. Beautiful words. But I can tell you, Paul might not have meant it for weddings. In fact, I know he had not meant it for weddings. He wrote it as a letter, in a letter, to an entire church. In fact, not just to one church, but to the entire uh, group of churches worldwide, over time. Love is patient and kind. What does our love for people look like? What is love? Well, Paul defines it like this. Two positives, eight negatives. Two positives. Love is patient and kind. That's all the positives there. Because after that, it's love is not this. Love is not that. These are the negatives. So the positives first. Love is patient and kind. Patience and kindness are two sides of the same coin. It's a person full of grace and mercy and and agape love. Patience, kindness, two sides of the same coin. Patience is an internal work that the Holy Spirit works in us. Be patient, bear under the circumstances. It's an internal work, so that we can be kind, which is an external work of benevolence to someone else, whether they deserve it or not. That's kindness. So, Paul is saying here, what does love for others look like? Be patient and kind. Be kind. Be kind to other people just do kind works speak kindly act kindly have a kind demeanor that's what paul is saying now there are eight negatives well because of time we'll go through seven or six we'll here are some negatives relating to love what love is not number 1 love is not envious love love does not envy Now, envy is ill feeling towards somebody else because that somebody else is successful in what you are trying to chase after, something that you are unsuccessful with or in. That's envy. An ill feeling because they've got what I am seeking and I don't have it. That's envy. Envy leads to dissatisfaction, discontentment, ungratefulness. Envy wreaks havoc in our hearts, in our minds, emotions, and causes us to become mentally unstable. That's what envy does. Look at King Saul, Israel's first king. Oh, the women. The women were singing this young shepherd boy's praises. They were singing, Saul has killed, or Saul has struck down his thousands. But David has struck down his ten thousands, making David ten times more successful, important than Saul. David has slain his ten thousands, and Saul got envious. He's got something that I haven't got. From those women. And so Saul sought to kill David. Three times he flung his javelin at David unsuccessfully. He went from worse to the worst to, to, to the worst, real down, so that so much so even the Spirit of God departed from him. He was beset with insanity in the end. Don't envy. Do not envy. Envy and love cannot share the same home in your heart. When envy fills that home, love flies out the window. People who are envious do not have love. Simple as that. Here's another negative love does not boast. Love does not boast let not show off. Jesus had on numerous occasions said to the Jews, I and the Father are one, because he's telling the truth. I, I, am, divine, I am the divine Son of God. I forgive sin. Well, only God can forgive sin. Sin is an, an affront to God, and I forgive, so I am God. So, But then he says this. He says, everything that I hear, Everything that I speak to you, I hear from the Father. And upon hearing, I speak to you. All that I'm doing now, healing the sick and raising the dead and calming the, the raging seas, I see my Father doing. What I see, I perform. I carry out. All the kind works, Jesus went about doing good, undoing the works of the devil. All of these things that I do, I see my Father doing. You see... He didn't boast. He didn't say, I am a self made man. Can't you see I'm divine? No, he, he gave honor to the Father. Everything that I do, it's from the Father. There's no need to boast. People who boast, they simply do not have love. Here's a third negative love is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. King Nebuchadnezzar, one evening, in the cool breeze, was walking on the balcony of his his palace, that opulence in Babylon. And he he cried out, Oh, isn't this great Babylon that I have built with my own power? uh, This is a reflection of my majestic glory, Babylon. Right at that moment... Just as the words escaped from his mouth, a voice thundered from heaven. That voice said, you will be driven out from amongst men. Your kingdom has come to an end. You will be driven out and your home. You will make your abode amongst the wild beasts of the field. And you will eat grass like an ox. Why? Because of your arrogance and your pride. Pride is that sin that made Satan, Satan. I will. I will. He wanted to challenge God. Do not be proud and arrogant, because the Bible tells us God opposes the proud. You know, that's a military term. Opposes means to arrange, to marshal up your military resources. Against an opponent. So God says, I oppose. I marshal up all of my resources against you if you are proud and arrogant. Proud people do not have love. Do not be arrogant. Jesus was self effacing, he was not puffed up with pride. He was God. He is God, but he's not puffed up with pride. He went to the cross humbled himself taking your sin and my sin dying like a criminal being a criminal in death for our sakes no arrogance why his heart was full of love here's another negative love is not rude if we love people we will not be you know we will not r- respond react with rudeness in our words in our tone we will not be rude you know when jesus undertook his ministry huge crowds were following him it was it was a ministry undertaken under intense pressure people everywhere voices everywhere there was anger people jostling to to get closer. People elbowing others and stomping on others so that they can get ahead nearer to Jesus. Babies crying. Crowds everywhere. And then the people were leveling all sorts of untruthful words against him. Words like, he's a lawbreaker. He performed miracles, but on the Sabbath. It's illegal. He breaks the law. Or others would say, he heals, yeah. He's he's satanic. He's demonic. He has the power of Satan. That's why, even the brothers, full of sarcasm, brothers said, "You want to be well known? Go to the feast. Get up. Come on. You cannot. You cannot just be here in the outback. Get on to the capital city." But Jesus never reacted with rudeness. Jesus simply said. My time has not yet come. I'll go when my time has come. And indeed he went later on. Don't be rude. There's no need to be rude. Keep your calm. Have yourself under control. Because you know why? Rude people do not have love. Here's another negative. Love does not insist on its own way. It, it is not obstinate. It is, it is not stubborn it's a it's a it's a bad word stubborn and some folk are stubborn stubbornly stubborn love is self-denying do not insist on your own way you know we hear so much about today about my right it is my right elevating man above every other thing but you know what The way of the cross is self-denying. Love is the way of the cross, self-denying. I know my rights, but I willingly let go of my rights, and I deny myself. In marriage, so much heartache and heartbreak could have been avoided if only the two parties would learn not to insist on their own way. So much heartbreak. Families would be better off the community would be better off because the bedrock of any community is the marriage relationship. Here we have two parties. One unsurrendered ego on one corner and another unsurrendered ego the other corner. One big ego here on this corner, another big ego here on this other corner. One self-centered ego On this corner, another self-centered ego. That's what happens. We need to learn not to insist on our own way. That's love. Now, it's not just in marriage. In the family, children and parents do not insist. We have seen parents insisting on certain things on their children. You You know the outcome. At the end... The children wouldn't have anything to do with the parents. Siblings. I have seen siblings, all in age, still at odds, one with the other, insisting on their own way. Love does not insist on your own way. Even in the church, even in the church, there are people who insist on their own way. And therefore, they are at loggerheads, one with the other. Don't insist on your own way. If you do that, it is evidence love is very shallow, perhaps even lacking in your heart. Then love is not irritable. Here's another one which, which all of us are afflicted with, irritability. People are so self-absorbed, we find it impossible. Check with me. Do you find it possible to love when you are irritable? It's impossible to love. Therefore, irritable people do not have love. It's simple. Now, irritability, being irritable, irritability is a seed. If you plant that seed in your heart, it will grow up to become an ugly weed. You can call it by that weed called anger, rage. You can call that weed by names like that. You know, the English language the English language has an idiom called he tends, and I'll use it, he tends to fly off the handle easily. Uh, what that means is he, he gets irritable and then he gets worked up and then he gets angry big time. He tends to fly off the handle easily. What does that, where does that idiom comes come from? Well, it comes from this. In the old days, and even today, you've got an axe. The axe head, the, the axe head made of metal, iron, is attached to the wooden handle. And if one is not careful over time, as you swing that axe, The axe head could fly off, and untold damage and hurt has been done because people fly off the handle readily. It all starts with irritability. Irritability is that tiny seed. When you have irritability and then you fly off the handle, out goes love. There's no love in your... Oh, you can quote verses. Oh, you can you can quote passages of books. But there is no love. There is no love. So, these are the few... Here's one last one. Not, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. The Bible tells us that God does not rejoice with wrongdoing. You know, some Christians have the gift of gossip. Oh, that story, those juicy details, I must get my hand on them because I can then talk with somebody else about it's gossip, and it's rejoicing at someone else's sin, someone else's mistake or wrongdoing. God never rejoices in wrongdoing, and we should never do so as well, because if we do that, it proves we do not have love. So let me quickly summarize. How does our love for people look like? Well, if you are unkind, if you are envious, if you are boastful, if you are arrogant, if you are rude, if you insist on your own way, if you, uh, if you rejoice at wrongdoing, oh, that doesn't look like love. That doesn't look like You do not look like a person who is walking in love. So let me conclude this morning. Let me conclude by saying this. We need to be known above all else for love. We must be a people. Let us not be described like this. Let love not just be a part, not even a major part of our life. Let that not be our description. Let us be described in this manner. Above all else, above all else, we know him by love. We know her by love. That's the best descriptor. Let us be known above all things for love. Now, I checked through the New Testament to find what the, the topmost apostles during Jesus' day would have to say about love. And that's how I got this title, Above All Love. I got this from the apostles. And so I'm going to read some of these scripture verses with you. Paul says, Colossians three fourteen. having described many virtues, you should do this, you should not do that, and you should do this. He says this, and above all, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Are you a person of love? Do you, above all other virtues that you have, above all of them, do you, do you put on love and love people and love God? Here's another verse. This is now the Apostle Peter. Now, these are the three Apostles, Peter, uh, Paul, Peter, John. So we've dealt with Paul, now Peter. Peter says this, 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. So above all, Keep loving one another earnestly. It's continuous. It's in the continuous tense. Do you have love? Are you loving others above all the other virtues that you have? Look at John. Well, John doesn't have a verse like the other two apostles where he says above all. But I, I believe with all my heart that he would have said the same thing. Why? Because look at this. John's gospel contains the word love 57 times much much more than all the other three gospels combined 57 times the apostle John says love love in his epistle of first John that word love appears 50 times. It's a lot of times. In a short letter. Five chapters. Love. Love. Wow. Five chapters. 50 times. That's 10 times love occurs per chapter. That's huge. So above all, I want to encourage us this Sunday. Reset. Reset your Christian life to be responsible To love, firstly, God, with everything that you've got, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, the Lord would say, well done. That's how it should be. That is what it's meant to be. That's what he's saying. Well, our time is up, and I want to thank you for joining us this Sunday. If you are listening in, online, and you have not opened up your heart to accept the love of Christ for you, and and to love Him back. You see, it's not just receiving Christ and that's it. It's, it's really loving Him, pursuing Him. Yes, having Him resident, but also making Him president, ma- making Him the Lord. If If you have never done that, I want to encourage you this morning. Receive the love of Jesus for you. He humbled himself. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin and my sin. He died for you. So he loves you. Now receive that love and then love him. From now on, love him more than silver or gold. Rather have him than riches untold. And uh, if you do that, let us know. Make contact with us. You have our church website and and contact details. Let us know. We would be so uh, thrilled to get to know you and to be of of help to you, to give you some uh, further assistance uh, in future. And uh, for the rest of us, come again next week. Come prepared. Not just to hear the word, but come to worship. Come to worship the King of Kings. All good? You all have a great week ahead. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.